heaven, hear your glory. Holy Spirit, we thank you for being here to anoint and empower this time and glorify Jesus Christ. And Lord Jesus, that you're in our midst. The Bible says that two or three gather together in your name, which is drawn together in the Greek. And I believe that we're drawn together for such a time as this. Lord, that whatever we ask, it'll be done. And so, Lord, we agree together tonight. You're in our midst, and we, we thank you for coming mightily upon this time in the Word, that you would speak through me everything that needs to be said under an anointing, and that your Holy Spirit even now would move upon all of us to give us good, fertile soil of hearts and minds, eyes and ears of the Spirit, that may be what we couldn't understand before. By the Holy Spirit, we can understand it, that our minds are clear and we're focused. We're not distracted or hindered. I thank you, Lord, for that, and I thank you for everything being accomplished in and through this time that your will to be done, that the wind of your spirit will carry this out among the nations through the internet. It's going to get where it's supposed to and accomplish what it's supposed to, because the Bible says it will not return void, but it will go forth and accomplish what you sent it to do. We believe it, we expect it, and we know the birds of the air try to steal the seeds. So, Lord, we submit this unto you. We resist the devil. We bind anything that would try to hinder this word from getting where it's supposed to be and accomplishing what it's supposed to. We command that to be bound now in Jesus' name and back off. And Lord, I thank you for your angels just clearing things out and that this will be effective tonight. And we thank you, Lord. We believe it. We receive it now in Jesus' name. By faith, everything will be accomplished, that you will be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, we're going to talk tonight more about blessings and curses. So, in this sermon, I'm going to do my best to try to explain some things. I think that this subject of blessings and curses in the American church, in the America in general, is probably one of the subjects where there is some of the greatest amount of ignorance in this subject because it's just not taught at all. Very, very seldom talked about. And Unfortunately, I'll try to say this the right way, but there's, there's something in America in the way of a, a pride that is a, I'll believe it if I see it, handle it, touch it, almost like a scientific mindset of unless you can see it, unless you can prove it with science that it's not real. And there's this mentality like that. Well, let me just tell you, regardless of all that, they're, they're wrong about a lot of things. Uh, the Bible's real, what God says is real, and blessings and curses are real. And just like angels and demons are real, you can't see them with your natural eye, but they're real. And so we're dealing with that realm tonight of blessings and curses. Now, let me try to explain this because a lot of people don't know what a blessing is and they don't really know what a curse is, okay? So when you pray about something, there's different types of prayer. But in general, when you pray... You're asking the Lord, Lord, would you do this? Your word says it, we're asking, we're believing, Lord, that you step in. So you're asking God to do something. That's prayer for the most part. There's different types of praying, but in general, that's prayer. Now, when you prophesy, prophesy is not just predicting the future. Prophecy is inspired by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit will speak through you something that needs to be said. It could be a word of encouragement. As a matter of fact, true prophetic ministry will expose the enemy. Did y'all catch that? True prophetic ministry will also expose and deal with sin. 
So prophecy is not just predicting the future. That, that's part of it. But prophecy is the Lord speaking through a person. It's revelation that comes. So when you prophesy, the Holy Spirit may move upon you and you may speak something forth that is revealing the will of God about this situation and you're prophesying about it. You're revealing God's will, maybe exposing the enemy and maybe even saying that this will happen in the future, but it's God speaking through you about that, okay? So it basically, prophecy is inspired speech, the Holy Spirit speaking through you. So prayer is asking God. Prophecy is the Holy Spirit speaking through a person. But blessings are completely different. Blessings are, yes, they're words. It's more than that. I'm going to do my best to explain this tonight. But blessings is something that is spoken that is what you desire to see happen. And those words have energy about them. There's a power about that. And you're putting those words on a person, place, or thing. And those words will begin to cause that to happen. And it's the same way with a curse. A curse, for the most part, is energized words that is put on a person, place, or thing to cause negative. So I'm going to try my best to explain all this as I go. Be patient with me, please, because this is a subject that there's almost like a little bit of mystery about it, but I'm going to do my best to explain it. And I believe that when we get to the end of this sermon, you're going to see some things maybe you haven't seen before. But blessings and curses are all through the Scripture. I mean, literally, it starts in Genesis And you see it all the way through Revelation. I mean, it's all through. When Jesus, when they brought the little children to Jesus, do you remember that Jesus did not pray for them and he did not prophesy over them? What did he do? He blessed them. Now, there's a difference. Can you imagine being a child in Jesus' lap and Jesus putting his hand on, on that child and speaking over them? I bless you such and such. You know that that child was blessed. You know that something came on that child that stayed with them and followed them and caused good in their life because that blessing was put on them, you see? And the same thing, there's so many examples, but in the life of Abraham, you know, God blessed him in every way. So the way Abraham was, was that there was some kind of a blessing on him that it was on him like a garment, okay? picture, if you will, just like this outer jacket, like maybe Joseph's coat of many colors. Let's say in the spirit realm, you can't really see it, but somebody that's blessed of God, there's something on them that everywhere they go, it seems like that blessing will work for them. It influences the people they come in contact with. It influences situations. And I don't completely fully understand it all, but I do know that wherever, let's say that there's, there's an individual that's blessed, everything associated with them trickling down will also be blessed. So the land that they own, that blessing somehow gets in that land. Isn't that interesting? If they, you know, the car that they own, their finances. And it seems like when somebody is truly blessed, that things will eventually work out. I mean, they, we, my wife and I were just talking about this today, not even thinking about this sermon, but it's like for somebody blessed, it's like they, 
something may start to go wrong and it looks really bad, and all of a sudden it's like somehow it will turn in their favor in the end, somehow. And even if they're defrauded or something negative happens, it's like somehow it will turn and God will bring money from another source to replenish. It's like no matter what it is, if it, I remember Perry Stone, I can't remember the scripture he was talking about, but he was saying that the, in the Greek it implied that like if the enemy tries to crush, like you stomp on a flower and you grind it down in the ground and then you step back and the thing just seems to pop right back up like nothing happened. And that, that's kind of what he was saying the Greek implied there. And it's kind of like that with somebody that's blessed. Something will try to crush, but eventually they'll just kind of pop back up. They'll get, <laughs> this is fun. they'll get thrown, like let's just say somebody, somebody that's blessed. It's like they get thrown off a roof or something. Before they hit the ground, some mysterious parachute just pops out of nowhere and they float safely to the ground. You know what I'm saying? I'm just kind of joking around. But it's like that, like no matter what life tries to throw, no matter what the devil tries to do, when the smoke clears, it will end up somehow working out for them. If they really have a need, it'll work out. Now, the same, the same thing is true with curses, but in the negative sense. It seems like somebody that is working against a curse in their life, it seems like things never seem to work out. They live very frustrated because even when something should work out and everything looks like it should work out here, it seems like it ends up not working out in the end for them. And they live very frustrated. And so blessings and curses are like that. They're, they're like a garment. If somebody's under a curse, it can be over their life like a garment, like a dark cloud. Now, let me just read a few scriptures. In Deuteronomy 30, 19, God, you got to understand from God's perspective here, God set things in motion. He had six tribes on one side and six on the other, the Mount Ebal, and, and they spoke Blessings and curses. I mean, if you obey God, these blessings will come. If you disobey God, these curses will come. And so it was something that was set in motion. And so it's not like God's up there cursing people or whatever. It's simply something that is set in motion that we can either come under obedience to the Lord and his word and live under blessings or we can live in disobedience and live under curses, but it's up to us which course we're going to take in life. But with that said, sometimes there can be lingering curses that somebody needs to break off their life from their past sins or generationally. And so I'll show you this as we go. But Deuteronomy 30, 19, God said, I call heaven and earth as a witness against you today that I have placed before you life and death blessings and curses. So choose life in order that you may live, look at this, and your descendants. Don't just skip over that. God was trying to tell them what you do will affect your children and grandchildren. Verse 20, by loving the Lord your God and obeying his voice and holding close to him, for this is your life and the length of your days so that you may live in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. So God is saying he's already set it in motion. He's put it out there before you. Choose life. Choose blessings. All right. 
So what are blessings and curses? Let me start it by saying this. Blessings or curses are like energized words. There's a creative power in them that brings change. If it's a blessing, it'll bring positive change. If it's a curse, it'll bring negative change. And it sets things in motion. Did y'all hear that? Sets things in motion. So sometimes things will be a certain direction for generations because of a blessing or curse that's set in motion. Blessings are what you want to happen. Curses are what you don't want to happen. But they are vehicles of supernatural power that will often even continue from generation to generation, sometimes even for thousands of years. And I'll show you that. Vehicles of blessings or curses are usually words. And a curse is also like an invisible barrier to the blessing of God, what God has. It's like an invisible barrier trying to hinder what God has for somebody until it's removed. Now, how are blessings imparted? Now, this is important because when I say imparted here, I'm not talking about something sent from a distance. It can be sent from a distance, if you will, but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about in close proximity, how is a blessing or a curse imparted to another? Okay, it can be imparted through words, through touch, or through objects. That's interesting. Through words, through touch, or through objects. I could give a lot of examples, but I think everybody kind of knows some of these. But when Abra or uh, when Isaac blessed Jacob, words, you see. When Jesus blessed the children, put his hands on them. There's a lot of scripture about that, hands laid on. And I'm not just talking about an anointing being imparted here. I'm talking about a blessing being imparted through touch. You know, like a child or a grandchild, sometimes even just kissing them on the forehead as a blessing, I bless you. There's something imparted through that, through touch, through a loving touch. There's also objects. Now, talking about blessings and curses, like something can travel through objects. It can travel like a curse for sure. Uh, Deuteronomy talks about cursed objects, but think about a blessing. Do you remember, isn't it interesting, the Apostle Paul, that even handkerchiefs and aprons that were given to him, you know, they went out, and whatever they came in contact with, people were healed and delivered of things. So there's something that transferred through an object. But also, I might add this. How many times have we heard stories, seen, and even experienced ourselves of somebody taking communion? And you're, the Bible calls it the cup of blessing. And they drink a blessing into themselves. How many times have we heard things where somebody maybe was set free from something or healed from something? You see, it came through an object, through something. Also, the anointing with oil. Isn't it interesting that the Lord said to get the elders anointed with oil in the prayer of faith? There's something about that oil that God, it's a vehicle through which a blessing and an anointing can flow through to bring healing. Do you see what I'm saying? So blessings or curses, either one, can travel through words, 
through touch, through laying on of hands, through a hug, through a kiss. It can pass through touch, through contact. But it also can travel through objects. It can get in or upon an object and go with that object into somebody's life, either good or bad. So you need to be aware of these things. How do they come? Well, a curse is pretty simple to explain. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs 26, verse 2, that like a bird flying in the air, it says a curse without cause cannot rest. So if you remember me talking about this a few weeks ago, I talked about how land, you had land and it, let's just say that it was just benign land. There was nothing about it, good or bad. It was just land. But let's say something happened there, that somebody maybe was practicing witchcraft there, or there was a murder. There was something that defiled that land. Now, a curse has a cause. Are y'all seeing what I'm saying? There's defilement, so now a curse has a landing pad, a landing strip that come down and land on that land there. And because now there's a curse on the land, it's going to affect the land, which is really an interesting principle. As I go, I'm going to give you some, some accounts, biblically, etc. but it can affect that land. And because that land is defiled and because there's a curse now on it, demonic spirits will come into that land and begin to traffic there, and they will cause things to happen against that land, against the people that come there. Like, for example, if a Christian community tries to come and set up a church and, and all that, sometimes they might find that they're coming up against some kind of a spiritual force, and they don't understand it, but they, they feel like something is really resisting them here. Now, why is this like this? Until, until they pray and God reveals it, or maybe somebody tells them, then they can say, Lord, in regards to this land, we ask your forgiveness for the sin of this land and what's happened here. And once that is cleansed, once that sin, that defilement is removed by the blood of Jesus, then you can easily remove the curse off the land and command the demonic spirits to leave and never return. Is this making sense? So cancel legal ground, drive it out. Now, a curse, though, the primary cause for a curse in the Bible is very simple. Not listening to and not obeying God. It's, it's extremely simple. You know, we think all these complicated things about curses, don't we? It boils down to not listening to God and not obeying God, specifically his word. God said, this is sin, this is righteousness, and people choose sin, and then there's a curse that comes. Now, a curse, it's an interesting principle here because when somebody does something, let me give you an example. Let's say that somebody's going along, they're not a Christian, and let's say that they, they go to some fair somewhere, and there's, there's a legit palm reader fortune teller type person. I mean, this is a real person. This isn't like some fake thing where somebody's, you know, put on a turban and call themselves Madam such and such and is just joking around, you know. This is, this is a real, like, psychic fortune teller type person. And let's say that this person, out of curiosity, goes in and lets her read his palm or 
read tea leaves or whatever, and gives him his so-called fortune or, or whatever, what he doesn't realize is, is that he has just communed with a servant of Satan, and he's just, she's operating in what's called in the Bible familiar spirits. So how does this work? Because some of these people can give very accurate information. Well, it's not complicated. She has demons in her life that she speaks to. And these demonic spirits can give her information about this person. And so they, this person doesn't realize what they've actually done. They have now communed with a servant of Satan and also communed with demon spirits. Because of their act, and the Bible specifically says, do not consult these people. Do you see the disobedience to God here? God said, do not do this. They went and did it. Ignorance doesn't matter. Your intention, now how many, y'all hear me tonight. This is actually really important because people out there think that somehow ignorance about God's word matters in this situation or that your intention matters. Oh, well, I didn't intend for it. It doesn't matter what you intended. It doesn't matter that you didn't know. You still did it. If you, I'm surprised how many people out there have a Bible in their bookshelf or whatever, never read it. The thing's got about that much dust on it. And then they wonder why they go around doing things that they shouldn't be doing and bring curses on themselves. Break the thing out, dust it off, read it, and you'll know better. And so the Bible says, don't do that. This person goes and does it. And now, that, hear what I'm saying. There's a curse that comes with that. And because they did this, this curse is on their life. And now there can be demonic spirits trafficking in their life because there's a curse. And until they deal with the legal ground and they, get, they accept Christ as their Savior and they repent, they say, Jesus, I went and did this. It was disobedient to the Bible. I am sorry. Forgive me. Once they truly confess their sins, he is faithful and just to forgive them of their sin and cleanse them. So once they do that now, the legal ground is canceled. Now they can pull that curse off and they can command any spirits to leave them and they will. But if you don't deal with that, if you don't ever confess it as sin and repent, that curse is going to remain because it has a cause. And as long as that curse is there, spirits are going to traffic in that person's life. Now, in the Bible, there's, if you read Leviticus like 26, 27, you read Deuteronomy 28, and you, it's, God goes through all these things that where you're reading this about, if you obey me, I'll bless your basket and eating trough, I'll bless your, the, the fruit of your ground, the fruit of the womb, the, your cattle and herds, and I'll bless all this, and it goes on and on. And then there's curses for disobedience, and I mean, it's this scathing thing you're reading. But Derek Prince broke it down into categories and simplified it. And if you've never read the book called Blessings or Curses, you can choose by Derek Prince. It is a classic on this. He was a pioneer in this area. And I strongly recommend many pastors that preach along these lines will use that book as a go-to book. It's called Blessings or Curses You Can Choose by Derek Prince. He passed away in 2003 and just a great man of God. Highly respect him. All right, so... He broke down their seven blessings, categories of blessings. So if there's a blessing on your life, there are seven areas that it will manifest. Number one, 
exaltation and promotion. That means you'll be the head, not the tail. The head leads and makes decisions. The tail gets kicked around. You're going to be the head, not the tail. Number two, he coined a phrase, reproductiveness. And what that means is like fruitfulness in every area of life, that every area of your life, every category is fruitful and productive. It's not sterile. It's fruitful. This, the third category is healing and health, that there will be healing and health in your life. The fourth category is long life. As you know, it's God's desire that we live long lives, amen, long, healthy lives. And so there's long life and a legacy. I put that in there, long life and a legacy. God wants us to not only have a long life, but to leave a legacy behind us for our kids and grandkids. The fifth is prosperity, success, and abundance, that category. Prosperity, success, and abundance. God wants us to have more than enough so that we can be a blessing to other people. And then the sixth category is favor. The Bible says in Psalms, favor is around the righteous like a shield. How many want favor on your life that you go into situations and because there's favor on you, it turns in your favor? I've had so many weird situations, and sometimes it seems that, uh, you know, that it looks bad at first. This is, I've had this happen so many times that I have to believe that it's the Lord where I've gone into a situation financially and all of a sudden, for no reason, something negative happens. And then the person is like, I am so sorry that that happened. I'm going to give you a bunch of free stuff. And I'm like, well, okay. <laughs> it's all good. I've had that happen so many times now that I'm convinced that that somehow is the favor of God in that situation. I don't understand it. But it's like it turns bad at first, but it ends up really working out for me. And so that's favor. And then the seventh category is victory. As I've already talked about in the last couple of weeks, we're not back here on the defensive getting all beat up, but we got our little shield up against the devil. You know, that's not how we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be charging the gates of the enemy and taking them down. That's how it's supposed to be. And God gives us victory. Super. Think about that we are sons and daughters of Abraham. Abraham with his family, Think about your family for a moment, okay? You can really appreciate this when you think about your family for a moment. Abraham and his family went in the night and defeated four kings and all four of their militaries. That's a supernatural victory. You go home and rally your family and go up against four armies and tell me that Abraham did not have a supernatural victory. And it's the same thing with Joshua, see, the, the seed of Abraham. Joshua saw supernatural victory after supernatural victory. Outnumbered, that shouldn't have went in their favor, but God gave them the victory. So there is something, David and Goliath, on and on, I could give stories, Gideon's victory. So there's seven categories of blessings. If, you're, if there's a blessing on your life, you should expect these that you're going to end up being the head, not the tail, that your life is going to be fruitful, that you're going to have healing and health in your life, that you're going to have long life and a legacy, that you're going to be able to walk in prosperity and abundance, but that's contingent upon us being obedient 
in tithes and offerings and not disobedient robbing God. Amen? I mean, we got to be practical here. We got to obey the Lord. And then number six is favor, and number seven, victory. So now there's nine curses for disobedience. You know, seven is the number for like perfection and complete perfection, things like that in the Bible. Completeness, I guess. But it's more of like complete perfection. That would be the way I would describe that word in my opinion. But nine is the number of judgment. There's a lot I could go off rabbit trailing there. But nine is the number of judgment. And so when you read here, these are nine categories of curses. Number one is humiliation. Number two is barrenness and unfruitfulness. Number three is mental and physical breakdown. Number four, family breakdown. Number five, poverty. Six, defeat. Seven, oppression. Eight, failure. And nine, disfavor. And when somebody has a curse on their life, it will manifest in different ways. So those are the nine categories, like in Leviticus 26, 27, Deuteronomy 28. Those are kind of the nine categories you can put it under. But let me give you signs of a curse. If somebody has a curse on their life because of something they've done or something that's in their family bloodline, and there's a generational curse that they're being affected by, one of the things that you'll see a lot of times, it may not be all of these, but it will definitely be some of these, you will see like mental and emotional breakdown. In a family, you'll see like mental illness, bipolar, mental instability, confusion, mental confusion, mental and emotional breakdown where they fall apart, they can't handle stress, mentally they're unstable, emotionally they're unstable, mental and emotional breakdown. That's a sign that there might be a curse. Now, sometimes somebody is just simply going through a horrible, traumatic time and they're stressed. That doesn't mean that there's a curse. They're just going through a difficult time. But if, if your life is plagued by this and it doesn't go away, and you also see it in other family members you're related to, it is a sign that there could be a curse. Also, another sign is repeated or chronic sickness, especially if it's hereditary. Repeated or chronic sickness. Number three is female problems. Now, 99.9% of the time, I'm not saying 100%, but I mean the overwhelming majority of the time, female problems go back to some kind of a curse and some kind of a spirit. It's usually connected to a Jezebel spirit that's come up against that person, especially if it's in the family bloodline. There's that Jezebel Ahab thing, female problems, and it causes barrenness, miscarriages, menstruation problems, etc. The next category... And all these things, how many can see all these things are devastating? I mean, they're destructive. A curse is a horrible thing. And, and people, it just, it ruins people's lives. It causes so much damage. Another category of a curse is divorce, 
family alienation and dysfunction, where families fall apart. And we were just, my wife and I were just talking about somebody none of you would know. This is somebody that we just happen to know through our business that we own. It's an acquaintance of ours. None of you have ever met this person. But this individual has had a lot of these things I'm talking about, and it's obviously generational. She's a precious Christian that loves the Lord, but her family is plagued with all kinds of problems. And it's sad because to this day, you know, she got saved later on in life, but to this day, her children are estranged from her family alienation, have nothing to do with her. And she's also unfortunately estranged from her family. It's, see, there's a curse there. And it's not just this one category, it's others. When you see in a family that there's a lot of divorce, there's a lot of strife, the, and people are alienated from one another. They, they won't talk to each other for years. Maybe even they get together for something. Next thing you know, so-and-so is cussing out the other one. You know, they, they maybe start fighting and yelling. Maybe the cops end up being called. But see, all of that right there, all that, that division, that, here it is, the family falling apart. That's a sign of a curse in a family. God wants there to be warmth and love and unity in families. Another thing that is a sign of a curse is financial insufficiency, poverty, famine. It's like financially, things just don't seem to work out for that person. They get a job and it should be good. Something happens. Man, they, it's like they take two steps forward financially and they think, all right, think, and then they end up three steps backward. Every time they start getting ahead, something comes out left field that costs them money. And they constantly live frustrated financially. Now, here's another interesting sign of a curse in a family is accident-prone a family may be plagued with this, and you can even sometimes see it generationally. They'll say, well, yeah, but well, that happened to my grandparents. You know what? Actually, that happened in my, the life of my aunt and uncle. You know what? That happened to me. But they, they, it seems like accident-prone. Things that happen uh, to cause maybe a car wreck or this or that, but accident-prone. Things keep happening, and you see it in the family. That can be a sign of a curse. Also, a sign of a curse in a family can be a history of suicide or unnatural premature death in a family. That can be a sign of a curse. Uh, just because one person goes through something, they get traumatized, and then they maybe struggle mentally, and then they commit suicide, that's not saying there's a curse on the family. That person just went through something horrible. But if you see these things, you see these in your family, and you see a history of it, not just one thing, but different things, you can start saying, you know what, I see that there might be a curse there. And you can trace it a lot of times going back to something, which I'll try to put my finger on it tonight. If I don't get all the way through this tonight, then I'll pick up on it the next couple of weeks because I want to take time with this 
Because as a pastor, you love people and you want people to know this so that they can be free, they can be in victory, okay? And um, my wife and I, I feel that we really have a, if I could say this the right way, we really have a right to preach about this because my wife's family and because I've, I have a wonderful parents and I do have Christianity in some of my family, but I will say, though, that there are things in our family that we've had to deal with. And one of them is Freemasonry, and another one is the Native American influence in our family, which is very pervasive. And we've had to deal with these things. So <clears throat> here's a sign that there's a curse on somebody's life. You know, I opened up earlier talking about a blessing. Everything tends to work out. But if somebody is coming up against a curse... It's like as they start getting ahead and doing well, it's like some kind of an arm comes out of nowhere and this dark hand comes in and just trips them up, sabotages things. And next thing you know, they, it looked like everything was going to work out and then it all fell apart. And their life seems to be that way, just frustrated. Why, why doesn't things work out? And they're frustrated. And sometimes they get frustrated with God. Let me tell you something. God's not the problem here. The curse is the problem. A, a curse will trip people up, pull people down, make people feel like they have to start all over again in life. It will cause people to feel like they've lost everything, and sometimes they have, maybe multiple times. Another thing about a curse, it's like a dark shadow a curse over somebody's life. This is interesting what I'm about to say. If somebody really is wrestling a curse in life, they have a very difficult time mentally seeing themselves successful and blessed and happy. It's like something mentally is hindering them where they can't see that. But it's like a dark shadow. How many have ever seen Charlie Brown? I know it's old. Remember that? Who was that one that that cloud followed him? You remember that? He followed him around and rained on him. Was that Charlie Brown or was that some other lioness? Anyway, one of them, it was like he'd go and this little cloud would come over and start raining on him, you know? But a curse is like that, like a dark cloud over somebody's life. It's oppressive. And they're, they're coming up, they're wrestling that thing. And because of that curse, see, there's a legal ground. Somewhere in their past or in their family, there's things that have been there that brought a curse. And because of that curse, there's a severe oppression over them. And because of that oppression, it affects their life. And maybe it's been there their whole life. And because of that curse, there's demonic spirits at work trying to work against their health, work against their finances, turn people against them, cause all these problems for them. But how many knows, here's the good news. When Jesus died on the cross for us, this is what people got to understand. He not only paid for our sin to be forgiven, but he also paid for our divine healing. And not only did he pay for our healing, he paid for our deliverance. 
He took it. The Bible says, cursed is anyone who's hung on a tree. He hung there. He took it. But it's just like anything else. We have to learn to lay hold of what Jesus did on the cross and receive it in our lives. I think sometimes that's the hard thing for people. They, they kind of get a head knowledge that, oh, well, pastor said this, but you've got to learn to lay hold of things by faith and receive it in your life now. And so here's how you deal with these things. I'm going to get to that in a moment, but let me, let me break this down just a little bit more. So curses. I'm going to give you about seven or eight things here and just kind of read through them. But curses that come on somebody's life. Number one, there can be curses from God himself. And you can read this for yourself in the Bible. In Exodus 20, verses 3 through 5, it talks about you will not worship other gods. You will not make graven images. You will not bow down unto them. And he said, I will visit that upon you down to the third and fourth generation. So there is a curse that comes from worshiping other gods or graven images. And there's a few others. You can see in the Bible, there's specific references to things about disrespecting parents, treachery against a neighbor, injustice to the weak and helpless, illicit or unnatural sex, evil speaking, grumbling, harming or cursing God's people. Now, that also can be Israel and the Jewish people, but harming and cursing God's people. Also, Jeremiah 17, trusting in man instead of God. Cursed is the one who puts his trust in man. You remember reading that? Go back and read Jeremiah 17. You're talking about a dry, barren place. The book of Zechariah talks about a curse associated with stealing and perjury. Malachi talks about a curse because of stealing from God to his tithes and offerings. And then Galatians talks about a curse coming upon somebody that preaches a false gospel. Wow. These are curses connected directly from God by doing these things, bowing down to idols, etc. Number two, this category, curses that come from God's servants, people of authority, in the church age, apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, etc. Now, you can see this in the Bible because in Joshua 6, 26, Joshua took Jericho. And I mean, they tore it down. Remember that? And Joshua spoke a curse. And he said, cursed is anyone who rebuilds Jericho. They will do so at the cost of their firstborn and their youngest. And rebellious, everybody say rebellious. It's not like Ahab didn't know this. Rebellious Ahab goes off and marries a heathen like Jezebel. And rebellious Ahab decides he's going to rebuild Jericho. Now, I want you to please hear what I'm saying here. This curse was spoken 500 years 
before Ahab. Did you know that when the pilgrims walked this land was only like 400 years ago? This was 500 years before Ahab. This curse was spoken. When Ahab went to rebuild Jericho, he did so at the, his firstborn died and his youngest died. It was a curse. In 2 Samuel 1.21, even to this day, see, when you have somebody of authority, King David placed a curse. Do you remember the story when Saul and Jonathan died? And David spoke this out. He spoke a curse on Mount Gilboa that it would not have, it will lack dew and rain, etc. He said it wouldn't be fruitful, basically cursed it. Did you know to this day, y'all please hear what I'm saying, to this day in Israel, did you know that they have not been able to get things to grow there? I believe when Jesus comes, things are going to grow there. But until this, the son of David gets here, <laughs> David has spoke that over that. He was a, a man of authority. He spoke it, and that's the way it is. Isn't that interesting? That's a 3,000-year-old curse that is still affecting today. Do you remember 2 Kings chapter 5? I'm talking about a, a servant of God, there being a curse. Do you remember when um, Elisha told Naaman to go dip in the Jordan? He dipped, came back. He was cleansed of his leprosy, and he wouldn't take anything. And Gehazi scurried off and wanted to get that money, that greed. And Elisha told him, said, the leprosy that was on him is now going to come on you. You see, that curse affected Gehazi. It came on him. He became a leper. So servants of God can release blessings or curses. And because of their office of authority, it really affects things. That's why I get an elder and I myself that we deliberately speak a blessing and we put a blessing on the ministry and on the people in River of Life because I understand that that comes on you like a garment and it affects you. But see, what would it be like if I was up here every week just speaking all this negative stuff over you? See, those curses would have power and it would be trying to cause negative. Also, I would add a curse from just simply authority figures. An authority figure can be somebody like a senator, a congressman, a president, somebody authority over a nation. It can be like a governor over a state. It also can be a teacher over a classroom, principal over a school, etc. But it can be, obviously, in the family structure, a parent, especially a father. There's tr tremendous authority spiritually in the father. But what you speak over your family, over your kids, can really affect them. And there is even a story in the Bible, and unfortunately, I think in the, the Middle East culture, in my opinion, studying the Bible and looking back on this, you remember Jesus said, look, let your yea be yea, your nay be nay, Anything beyond this is from the evil one. You know, I mean, read Genesis through. I mean, these people, in my opinion, had very little wisdom. They would just speak things. Well, 
may this person be cursed and may they die a horrible death if, if, if it's not like this. You know, and they would just say things. Remember Queen Jezebel, which I'm okay with her saying it. May it be done to me and even more severely if by this time tomorrow you're not like one of those, you see. They would pronounce curses on themselves and on their other people. So Jacob, when he, he fled Laban's house, he didn't know this, but Rachel took all the, his little demon gods and she hid them away, I guess, for good luck. And they're going on this journey and Laban, he was already mad anyway, but he, he saw that they, he took that as an insult. And so he, he goes after Jacob. And Jacob did not know about it, so Jacob was pretty upset when Laban came and accused him of that. And so Jacob said this. He said, uh, may the person that did this be put to death, because he didn't think anybody did it. May the person that did this be put to death. You search the camp. Whoever it is, they'll die. Well, he searched the camp, and Rachel pretended like it was her time of the month and sat there and hit and hit him and he never found him but Jacob still said it may the person that did this die and you know what's sad about it to Jacob's you know broken heart basically Rachel died young and died after having her second child while she was in labor so see Jacob didn't mean to but he spoke that over his wife that she would die, and she did. That was a curse. So parents can speak things over their kids. I could tell you some stories. But parents can speak things good or bad over your children, and it will turn the course of their life to, of what you speak over them. So be careful what you say. And sometimes parents will say things for the shock value and they'll say stupid stuff. You know, you do that, you're going to end up dead before you're 20. You're going to end up in prison. Blah, 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 and on they go, you know what? You need to shut your mouth because you're cursing that kid. Quit trying to this shock value stuff, okay? It's one thing to warn somebody and say, you be careful because you don't want something to happen, but it's another thing to speak it over them. And on the flip side of that, Parents and grandparents, you can invoke a blessing. You can put a blessing on kids and grandkids that will come on them like a garment and will follow them the rest of their life, and it will turn the course of their life. Also, another category is self-imposed curses. Did you know there's a story in the Bible where Rebecca knew that it was God's will that Jacob received the blessing. See, she understood, this culture understood the power of blessings and curses. She knew when Isaac was going to put a blessing on Esau, she knew that that would be of great significance. And so she was concerned because she wanted Jacob to get the blessing because she knew that it was God's will. So she told Jacob, she said, now listen, his eyes are dim and I want you to fix all this, and I want you to go in and pretend to be Esau. And Jacob was scared because he's like, Mom, when Dad figures out that I'm deceiving him like this, I went in there for a blessing, but he's going to curse me good. And she says, Son, may that curse come upon me. You just do what I say. Now listen, you read that, and then a few chapters later, 
you read about how Rebecca now, Esau was there with his heathen wives he married, and she says this. She says, I'm, basically, I'm miserable. I'm just weary of life. You know what that was? She spoke a curse over herself. Be careful what you speak over yourself. This is huge. I wonder how many people have, have, are struggling with things today that they, they spoke stuff years ago. What about, for example, a woman that always says things over herself like, I, I hate my legs, I hate the way my legs look, I hate this about... What about that curse that they speak over themselves that maybe later on in life they have all kinds of health problems in their legs? Because they spoke that when they were young and they hated that about themselves, but they kept cursing their legs. Be careful what you speak over yourself because it does have power. Self-imposed curses. Do you remember the story of when Jesus you know, Barabbas and Jesus were up there and the Jews chose Jesus, I mean, to let Barabbas go. And Caesar was like, hey, washing his hands. And Caesar knew the Bible enough to know that in Deuteronomy, if there was innocent blood shed, the leaders were supposed to come and wash their hands and kill a cow there and get the land cleansed from the innocent blood. He knew that. He read that in the Bible. And so when he stood up in front of them, he was washing his hands saying, look, you're wanting to shed innocent blood. I don't want any part of this innocent blood. And they knew what he was doing. And they said, let it come on us and our children. What a stupid thing to say. But you know what? It did exactly that. It came on those that were participants. And I, and I love the Jewish people, but unfortunately, there's been something there that, their ancestors spoke over them about that. And um, for 2,000 years, I love them dearly, okay? But for 2,000 years, here in these latter days, we're starting to see people get saved that are Jewish. But, you know, historically, it was very rare for the last 2,000 years, you see. You got to be careful what you speak over yourself and what you speak over your children. All right. The last couple categories I'm talking about, we talked about from... God himself, from God's servants, from authority figures. Then we talked about self-imposed curses, but also unscriptural covenants. This is really important. See, what a lot of people don't realize is when they join in certain things or their ancestry has, it can bring a curse. Uh, let me give you an example. Let's say that, and this is actually pretty common, at least it was in American history. Let's say that there's some guy that's a Christian and he goes to church and he's got some friends that are Freemasons and they basically want him to join the Masonic Lodge. And to him, he doesn't really know anything about it. How many knows you never get involved in something unless you learn about it? Okay, so that's first mistake. But he decides, well, my buddies are in it. He's thinking it's just like hanging out having barbecue, and he doesn't realize there's anything spiritual here. But again, his ignorance doesn't matter. His intention doesn't matter. So he goes in to join, and he starts going through all these bizarre rituals. He's got to be blindfolded, and he's got to go in there, and they, they roll up a sleeve, and he's got to knock. He's got this cable toe around his neck. He's got to knock on a door, and he says this. Please hear what I'm saying. 
He says, I'm in darkness needing to come into light. That right there is a major sin because he's saying that he's in darkness in his Christianity and he needs to come into the light of Freemasonry. Hello? You see what he just said out of his mouth? Do you see how Satan dupes people like this? Then he goes in, there's all these bizarre rituals, but he ends up at the end of the day kneeling at an altar with a Freemason Bible there and that square and compass there, and he's got to take an oath to Freemasonry. Now listen, what he doesn't realize that he's doing here is he's kneeling at the altar of Baal and he's entering an unscriptural covenant with the demon gods of Freemasonry. Hello? You know what this guy just foolishly did that professes to be a Christian? He just brought a curse on himself and on his family by what he just did. When you enter into these covenants, and let me tell you, a lot of people's ancestry, very, very few people don't have this type of stuff somewhere in their ancestry. Go back in, in your mind in your ancestry. If you think about it, here's some areas of concern. I, I personally love Catholic people, and I have nothing against a Catholic person. I don't. But Roman Catholicism is a cult, and it is replete with idolatry and paganism and weirdness. And whenever people don't understand this, but when they're young and they get dedicated to those saints and to the church and all that, and they're praying to Mary and they're praying to dead saints and all this weird stuff they're doing, they don't really realize that they're bowing down to graven images here. Hello? And there's people, let me just say this for those that are on the internet and hearing me. I have one, but I've had other people that have come out of Roman Catholicism that whenever I preach this way are some of the biggest ones saying amen. So before you get an attitude with me, I have people that grew up Catholic and were as Catholic as the Pope's hat and that have gotten saved now that, that they know that what I'm saying is real, okay? I'm, I, I love Catholic people, but there is, there is a curse and there is something there about that queen of heaven business and the Jezebel spirit and all that idolatry that is not good for you spiritually or your children. I'm just telling you. People enter into these unscriptural covenants. I want you to think about it going back in generations about all the weirdness that was in Europe and other parts of the world that people went to these, these pagan temples and they worshiped pagan gods and they pledged allegiance, and they brought things to that altar, to that God. They brought animal sacrifices and shed blood to that demon God, and they brought offerings of their crops and their finances, etc., to that temple, and they gave it to the priesthood of that God. You know what? That's an unscriptural covenant. That's an altar they're kneeling at to a demon God, to a fallen angel. And when you do that, it brings a curse. And people sometimes don't realize that some of these things have plagued bloodlines and they've traveled down bloodlines. But how many knows in Jesus we can get the victory over this stuff? There is freedom available. But the problem is, is most people are ignorant of it and they've never even prayed about it. How are you going to get the victory over something you've never once prayed about in your life? You know why they're not praying about it? Because nobody's teaching them about it. 
And whether it's Islam, whether it's Buddhism, whatever it is that, that in the people's family ancestry going back, these things affect them. One of the areas that we had to pray about was our Native American heritage, the Cherokee. And, and I, love, I love Cherokee people, you know. And I, I have nothing negative there, wonderful people, beautiful people. But nonetheless, the Native Americans worshipped other gods. And the things that they did, this, all their ritualistic stuff and their shaman witch doctors and all that medicine and stuff, all that is satanic. And so you have to deal with this stuff. So here's how we get the victory over these things. And let me, I'm putting this out there to try to help people because I do get feedback from people at Follower Ministry say, Pastor, you did mention this book and I went and bought it and it really helped me. I've heard that a lot. So I try to mention some books. Blessings and Curses You Can Choose by Derek Prince is an incredible book. It'll change your life. But another one is called Redeeming Your Bloodline. And there's the man that wrote it, his last name is Sirovina. It's S-I-R-O-V-I-N-A, I believe, Sirovina. But you, you can find it very easily on Amazon. It's called Redeeming Your Bloodline, and his last name is Sirovina. And it's an excellent book, but he goes through those type of prayers about things that have been in your bloodline. And whenever I felt led to do this, I gave it out to different people in my church, prisoners, and I said, hey, if I were you, I'd pray the prayers. And I had several people come up to me and say, Pastor, when I started praying those prayers, I really felt something. You see, there's a power in that. Here's the thing that people need to understand. Jesus paid for this on the cross. When he hung on that tree, becoming a curse for us, Galatians 3.13, and blood was dripping from his body on the ground, that blood was payment for us to be delivered from every one of these curses every evil spirit, every bondage, everything the devil's ever had in your life, it was nailed there on him on the cross. There is victory available, but people need to teach on this and, and help people understand, what am I dealing with here? Why am I dealing with this? So how do we get rid of these curses and how do we move into blessings? Well, you're gonna have to cancel the legal ground and drive it out. So here's the list. Number one, you got to recognize. I gave you things to think about, signs of a curse, etc. Number one, you need to recognize. Do you see a pattern in your life and in your family that there could be a curse? Do you see something there? So I'm going to tell you, I have seen very strongly in different families, and I'm including my own and my wife's in this, but I have seen some patterns that are, that are definitely the sign of a curse. And you can see it in families. Do you recognize that there's something there? Okay, number one is recognize it. Number two is repent. You need to say to yourself, well, how did this get in here? We need to deal with legal ground. And that's where some of these books I mentioned help people because it starts talking about all these different categories of... And it helps you to think in your mind like this sermon tonight, well, did my family worship other gods? Did my family practice witchcraft? Did my family do that? Was there murder and bloodshed in my family? Etc. on and on. You know, what has, 
And it helps you to not only recognize, but know what to repent of. And once you come before the Lord and say, Lord, on behalf of me and my family, I ask forgiveness for this stuff. I repent of the iniquity of bowing down to these gods of such and such that my family did. I renounce that altar. I ask your forgiveness. And what people don't understand, let me also mention this. I feel the Holy Spirit stopped me there to help you guys with it. But you know how in Christianity, people have a baby and they want us to pray over that baby and dedicate the baby. And let me tell you, that's actually very powerful. You know, I don't take that lightly. I usually anoint the baby with oil and we pray. And I don't just pray over the baby. I do what Jesus did. And I put a blessing on the baby. But we dedicate that baby to God. I'm going to tell you something. That's powerful. God honors that. Now, I know that that baby's going to have to grow up and one day accept Jesus Christ as their Savior themselves. But I believe us praying over that child and dedicating that child helps protect them from the devil. I really believe that. All right, but let me tell you this. Did you know in every other cult and religion and all that, that there is an element there of those people dedicating themselves and their descendants to that God? Did you know that? And so when you're praying about these things, you need to renounce any dedications to other gods. You know, there's a wonderful man, Mahesh Shavda, and he was kind of a spiritual son, Derek Prince, and I love his ministry. And he's, he's, uh, he's got a really good sense of humor. <clears throat> I had the honor of meeting him and talking with him, him praying for me one time. But he's Indian, I'm talking about from India. And he said, I can trace my family lineage back 900 years. But hey, they worship Hindu gods. And see, thankfully, he got under a ministry like Derek Prince where he could get free from all that junk, see. Or I don't think he would have ever really been able to really come into the powerful ministry God has him in unless he sat under somebody like that to get freed up, okay? But he was, he was saying, yeah, he said, back in my ancestry, there was a time that my family was like a ruling tribe or whatever there in India, and then he said, then this other family came in and whooped us good. <laughs> but anyway, he was saying that he could trace his lineage back and how he had to pray about all those gods of India and how they were worshipped, etc. And God liberated him from that. But see, there's dedications there. And see, the enemy takes this stuff very seriously. These things I'm talking about have a lot of weight in the spirit realm. So number one, we recognize there's a problem. Number two, we repent. And then number three, we renounce it. What you say has great power. Lord, I repent of the iniquity in my ancestry of this, that, and the other. I ask forgiveness in our family. And I renounce any other gods. I renounce their idols. I renounce their temples. I renounce their altars. I renounce any dedication to them. We have nothing to do with them. I am, a, I am born again. I am of a blood covenant through Jesus Christ. I'm a child of God, and I renounce these other gods. See, that, what you're coming out of your mouth right there, that, has, that carries a lot of weight in the spirit realm. You're renouncing those demon gods. And finally, you resist. The Bible says, submit unto God, resist the devil, and he'll flee. So after you've canceled legal ground, now you have authority to destroy it. You can take off, Lord, in Jesus' name, I release myself and my family and my children from every curse 
that's been over our lives. Every curse that came in and try to be specific from this religion or this, I pull that curse off me and my children and grandchildren. I release us from that curse. We are no longer under any type of a curse because in Christ we're now forgiven and he's delivered us from it. And I command as I submit me and my family unto God, I resist the devil. I bind these demonic spirits that's been at work in our lives. You will leave us in Jesus' name and never return. And you drive it out. There is victory in Christ. But we have to recognize the problem. And I feel like as I'm preaching that there's still some things people have been wrestling a little bit. There's victory in Christ. Pray about it during this fast that we're going on. Lord, are there still some areas where there's still a legal ground that I don't understand? Are there still some areas where there's still something I'm wrestling here? There's still spirits that are still trying to affect my health or whatever. Show me. And then as God reveals it, cancel the legal ground and drive it out. Now, I'm going to tell you a couple quick things. There was a wonderful, wonderful man of God. I really love him. He, he got saved, actually, out of Mormonism. And I can see his face before me. I'm trying to remember his name. I'm drawing a blank on his name. I'm sorry. But he got saved out of Mormonism, and he was in it generationally and was high up in it. And he also, his entire family was deeply involved in Freemasonry. He said he could trace back his family being involved in Freemasonry all the way back several generations. I mean, it was deeply entrenched in his family. And there was no conflict there because um, the founders of Freemason or Mormonism, Joseph Smith, his brother Hiram, etc., they were Freemasons. And so a lot of the Mormon rituals and temple and all that was going on had a very Masonic flavor to it. So there was no conflict there with him being a Mormon and being a Mason at all. But as he accepted Christ as his Savior, God began to show him that he needed to do this. He needed to release him and his family from these curses and these things that go back to Mormonism, that go back to Freemasonry. And so he got off, and he tells this story. And I remember I heard him tell this story myself. I heard him tell it. He said he went off and really began to pray about it. And listen to what I'm saying here. This is actually important. He began to go through the Freemasonic rituals, the oaths and things he had done and his family obviously had done. And he began to say out loud, Lord, I ask your forgiveness for this. It was a sin. I repent. And I renounce saying this, that, and the other. I renounce this ritual. And he began to systematically go through everything he had ever done in Freemasonry, in Mormonism, he asked forgiveness for it, and he renounced it. And he's like, I release my family. I release me and my children from this. And he said he felt something happen. So back then in the days of payphones, how many actually remember a payphone? I do. Anyway, in the back in the days of payphones, he went and found him a payphone. He's digging out his quarters or whatever it was at the time, and he's popping them in there. And he's calling home to talk to his wife. This was back in the days when there was actually a phone on the wall of your house. Okay. And so his wife, here's the phone. She goes and gets it. And he's like, honey, I've got to tell you what God showed me. And what." And she interrupts him, honey. She's like, I've got to tell you something. And, and, and he said, okay, was everything okay? She goes, I don't know. 
He said, all I know is your three boys just went ballistic. I'm sitting there at home, and the next thing I know, one of them's thrown to the ground. Another one's like beating his head on the wall. The other one's screaming on the ground. She said, I don't have any idea. It came out of nowhere. They just hit the ground and started acting crazy. And she said, and then it just went away. And he goes, well, let me, he said, when did this happen? She goes, oh, about such and such time. He goes, well, I think I know what happened. He said, I just renounced everything I'd ever done in Freemasonry and Mormonism and commanded the devil out of our family. <laughs> Hello? And I mean, hell fled by the power of the blood of Jesus. You hear what I'm saying? We have authority over these things. He recognized it. He repented. He renounced it, and he commanded it to leave. And I remember that um, Derek Prince was saying one time, this is how generational things work. It's serious. There was a young lady there that had come up to get prayer and had a baby. And he goes to pray for her, and she begins to fall out in the spirit. So his wife just kind of caught the baby, you know, like this. And here's what happened, though. She came down for prayer about being released from a curse. And she said it, that her family happened to be involved in Freemasonry or whatever. But see, what people don't understand, when you kneel at these altars, you don't realize what you're doing. You're not just kneeling for yourself. It's like dedicating your family to this, you see. And she said, I want prayer. And so he led her in a prayer of renouncing all this stuff, renouncing the Freemasonry, etc. And she started manifesting a little bit, and she was falling out. And the baby, his wife caught the baby. She's holding the baby. And, and he said that the woman cried out like a spirit left her. And then the, after that, the baby cried out as the spirit left the baby. Wow. Thank God for that baby being delivered and not having to grow up with that torment. Amen? So I could go on and on with stories like that. I've seen things myself. Many, many times my wife had prayed with people. Once you cancel the legal ground, I remember there's several stories I could tell, but for the sake of time, I'll tell one. There was this precious lady. She had come to us to pray with her, and she was of an African descent, and she had gotten mixed up in something. Because sometimes back in the families, they had kind of messed around with some, uh, you know, some kind of witchcraft or something. And she didn't seem to me like she really overly believed in all of the deliverance aspect. Well, I don't, I don't know, you know, if there's anything in my life. I was like, well, hey, what we'll do is we'll just pray and cancel legal ground and command anything to leave you. And she said, okay. So she goes through praying and she's renouncing stuff she had been involved in, her family was involved in, and some of it was like the occult and stuff. She's renouncing this and all of a sudden her eyes get real big and, and she, she grabs my arm and she's kind of scared. She goes, I feel something. And all of a sudden this thing came out of her. And she goes, wow, this is real. <laughs> I say, yeah. Well, thank God you got delivered, you know, because, I mean, we, we've seen people get set free from all kinds of stuff, and you know what happens is, many times, they're, they're delivered from things, and then the result is their physical health changes, their mental health changes, their emotional health changes, their relational health, their marriage changes, you see, because we cancel the legal ground. We pull out of people's lives any type of curse or bondage or work of the devil, and then we command the enemy to leave, strong men first. So it's important once you deal with these things that you replace it. I'm closing with this. If you 
get delivered from a curse of some kind, you need now to bring a blessing on your life. Now, it was paid for in Christ. What does the Bible say? That we're delivered from the curses of our law so that what? The blessings given Abraham come on us. Now, I want you to see right there, taking away a curse and then bringing a blessing. You see it right there in the Scripture, you see. So it's very important that people get consecrated. That, you know, they have these evil things lift off them. They have evil things leave them, that pollution. They don't just need to leave a, a void, like a vacuum in their life for the enemy to try to come back. I'm not saying he can, but they need to replace that. They need to be, hear what I'm saying, they need to be filled and baptized in the Holy Ghost. They need you to pray over them, anoint them with oil, and, and put a blessing on their life, and believe with them that the blessings given to Abraham are going to just completely cover every area of their life and shield them, you see. That's paid for in Christ. It's available. We lay hold of it by faith. And it's all wrapped up in that scripture. You're delivered from the curse of the law so that the blessings come, of Abraham come on you, and you receive the Spirit by faith. See, all of this has to do with faith. And it's also very important in these latter days that not only do we consecrate our lives spiritually and we get delivered from what the enemy's had in our lives, but it's very important that we're underneath a godly covering. I believe a lot of people, unfortunately, are going to a lot of places now, and it's a sign of the times, and I don't mean this critically, I know it probably sounds that way, but I don't mean it this way. There's still some wonderful churches and places out there. But I think that there are, unfortunately, a lot of places where there's a lot of sin in the camp. And there's a lot of spiritual coverings that are not really spiritual coverings. They're just putting on a show every week. We need to be under some kind of a true spiritual authority. A real covering. And let me tell you, what we believe in our hearts and what we speak with our mouths is going to be what happens, good or bad. So quit speaking over yourself, my sickness. Quit saying over yourself, every, every year around this time, I get this, that, and the other. Well, yeah, you, you probably will because you keep speaking it over yourself and every year you say it again. People create strongholds. And this is the last story I'll tell, and then we'll, then we'll pray. There was a, a woman that her mom had, had to work multiple jobs. I don't remember the details, but it was a situation where maybe the father left or died, but the mom had to work a lot, and she was the oldest daughter and had all these brothers and sisters, and her mom had gotten pregnant again and was having a child, and she she got so frustrated because her mom was always working. She had to take care of the children. And she kept saying to herself, I hate having kids. I'll, I'll never have kids. I don't want to ever have kids. And she would just say it out of frustration. Years, years later, she gets, she's grown up now. She's married. And her, her and her husband are wanting to have kids. And she can't get pregnant for nothing. And so she went to a pastor, and this pastor had wisdom. And as he was praying, he he felt, I don't know if he felt the prompting of the Holy Spirit or what, but he asked her, he said, have you spoken over yourself that you won't have children? And she said that all of a sudden it was like her mind just went back in time to that time frame. 
And she said, my Lord, yes, I spoke it. I spoke it a lot. And he said, well, that may be what you're dealing with is a self-imposed curse. He said, why don't we pray about that? So he led her into prayer where she said, Lord, I ask you to forgive me for speaking that over myself. That was not your will, and I shouldn't have been saying that. Forgive me for that sin. And I pull off my life those words. I release myself from that curse. And in Jesus' name, I will be blessed and be able to have children. And did you know after that, they had tried for years to have children. Did you know after that she got pregnant? So see, there's something about this, these areas of blessings and curses. There was another story. I said I wouldn't tell but one, but I got one more. Is that all right? One more quick one. It was a lady, and she happened to be Jewish, and she was not a Christian. And um, she was working at this prestigious firm as a secretary and did a lot of typing, notations, etc. And her hands had a lot to do with her productivity and her paycheck. And there was a, these people got involved in New Age, and they were going to this weird woman, and they were all mixed up. Now this company got mixed up in New Age. Now her being from a Jewish descent, she didn't really want to get mixed up with that. She kind of thought it was weird. And her boss and them were doing this stuff, kind of New Age yoga type stuff or whatever, meditation, and, and believing that through this it would cause wealth and prosperity, et cetera, in the business. And she didn't get involved, but the lady guru, whatever she was, like supposedly put like some kind of a blessing on everybody. And even though this lady wasn't involved, she kind of put this so-called blessing on this lady too. Well, next thing you know, this lady started developing, because how many knows when it's Satan's servants, it's not actually a blessing, it's actually a curse. This lady started developing severe rheumatoid arthritis in her hands for no reason, came out of nowhere to the point that it crippled up her hands and she couldn't type like she used to. And she was really concerned about this. A friend of hers who's a Christian followed Derek Prince's ministry and he taught about curses and how to be released from them. And she told her Jewish unsaved friend, I think you're dealing with a curse. Now this lady really didn't put much stock in any of that. She's not a Christian. She thought, well, maybe, whatever, you know. And her friend said, well, listen, you, regardless, why don't you pray about it? And her friend was like, well, maybe, you know. And so she gave, she tried to get the lady a cassette tape back then. How many have ever seen a cassette tape? Okay. <laughs> a lot of my stuff's going back in time. Anyway, so she tried to play this cassette tape for this lady. She goes to push play so she could say the prayer. It wouldn't play for nothing. So anyway, long and short of it, she writes the thing out. She writes out the renunciation prayer to be delivered from a curse that Derek Prince says. You know, she wrote it all out, gave it to the lady. The lady, again, didn't put much stock in it. But at some point in time, she thought, well, why not? So she breaks it out, and she's just reading it out loud, not with a lot of faith, mind you, just reading this about being released from a curse. And did you know Without being a Christian, without really having any faith to speak of here, she just simply was speaking to be released from the curse of that lady. She just simply released herself from a curse. Did you know that her hands went from being crippled to back 100% normal? And the doctor said, I don't know how that happened. It doesn't make any sense. 
You know how they are. But whatever you did, keep doing it, you know. But it just released her hands from that curse, and she was back to being productive again with her hands. That healing came just from being delivered from a curse, and that's it, nothing else. So there is a mystery and a power in blessings and curses. When God said that he wanted Sarah to have a child in her old age, the Bible said that God blessed her. Think about what I'm saying. He blessed her. And because God blessed her, apparently her youth renewed back to where an Egyptian Pharaoh who could have had any woman wanted her. And by all accounts, she was an old woman. But she somehow her youth renewed. And not only that, she was able to bear children at like 100 years old. Why? Because God's put a blessing on her. That blessing caused her youth to be renewed and her womb to be fruitful and productive. You see the power of blessings and curses here? To work either against you or for you? These type of sermons just help people to think about things. So, Lord, we thank you tonight for hearing and answering this, the prayers over this sermon. I thank you, Lord, for this going out and accomplishing what you want it to do. We thank you for it. We believe it. We expect it. And, Lord, I pray in the days to come as we're going to continue on this series that people are going to be set so free from so many things. Lord, I thank you for it. And let everything be accomplished that your will to be done. In and through this word, we believe it. We expect it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, how many of you guys learned something tonight? Let me tell you, this is serious stuff. I've seen some things. Derek Prince said one time that they, him and some buddies had traced that every so many presidents of the United States, it had to do with dying or whatever, or something bad happening. And they figured that Ronald Reagan fell in one of those. He was, you know, and they, they saw the, the, the curse cycling. And so they began to really pray for him to release that curse. And he said that Ronald Reagan came about that close to that curse happening. How, how close was that bullet to his heart? It was something like an inch. He said that Ronald Reagan missed that curse by an inch. And it, he said the only reason he believed he didn't get killed is because they had prayed for him and released that curse off the presidency that it would not be able to happen. So anyway.